Matthew chapter 5. series through the book of Matthew. This is now message number 11, entitled, Looks Can Kill. Matthew chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 27 to 32. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that... Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. So in verses 21 to 26, which is what we looked at the last time, we saw the first of a series of six contrasts with the Old Covenant law. So Jesus lays his law essentially alongside these commandments of the Old Covenant, highlighting Similarity, certainly, uh, in, in many instances, also demonstrating some differences. And in doing this, Jesus expanded on the Beatitudes that we refer to that begins this Sermon on the Mount there at the beginning of chapter number 5. And he fills in how that kingdom citizens live as salt and light in this present world until his kingdom comes. So Jesus there began speaking about murder and about anger, and that led to the heart of his discussion about reconciliation. And so he showed that reconciliation was something that we could say was heavier um, than the outward forms or practices of religion. Well, that brings us now to verses 27 to 32. Uh, And I do believe they're all connected together, even though we have here two instances of these contrasts. Um, They are closely related. And we quickly see that one of the connecting themes in this particular um, set of passages is the subject of adultery. And another is the concept of cutting off, but that's not as immediately apparent. And we'll we'll hopefully see that um, as we move on in this passage But it's also immediately obvious here that Jesus takes sins that we um, often toy with, we rationalize, we justify, um, and takes them very, very seriously. So for the second time now, Jesus refers to hell and refers to hell as a place of judgment that is entered by consequences of sins. So I want to look at this passage in two parts, and verses 27 to 30, um, where Jesus discusses the look of lust, and verses 31 to 32, where Jesus talks about causing adultery. So let's look at beginning here with verse number 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. 
So this is just as in the previous verse, uh, verse 21 that we looked at before, where we have this reference to what was said to the ancient ones. In other words, those who received the old covenant law. And we spent some time um, looking at the words that are used there and, and you know, some different translations of, of, of these words. And you, you read it here, and, and the way it's rendered here, it seems like that he's talking about something that was said by them, and it wasn't said by them, it was said to them. It's, it's indirect object. So he is referring to those who received the old covenant law, and in, in each of these cases, when he does this, he proceeds then to quote from the old covenant law that was said to them, uh, the ancient ones in the old time. So he quotes here um, from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14, as well as Um, the repetition in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 18, thou shalt not commit adultery. So this prohibition against adultery referred to sexual sins, um, unfaithfulness against one's spouse. In other words, in in some ways, um, it violates marriage or the covenant of marriage. And this was certainly a heavy law when we look at the old covenant law and one of the ways that we see how heavy it was is by looking at the penalty that was prescribed for breaking it so Leviticus chapter 20 and verse number 10 reads and the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 22. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman. So shalt thou put away evil from Israel. So the act of adultery was to be punished according to old covenant law with death by execution. Now that that did not mean that it precluded a trial. Um, There was always... Um, the establishment and and various things and and uh, you know it, it, there would be a a trial so to speak um, but it but it did deserve um, the death penalty if indeed it was the case so this is what Jesus refers to uh, this was what was spoken to the ancients in the giving of the old covenant and then he goes on as as we saw before in verse number twenty eight says but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And so here Jesus legislates against lust. Now, the word that is used for lust here, it means to set the heart on, and it refers to a strong desire for something. Now, it can be good, um, it can be a strong desire for something that is good, the uh, worship of the Lord and various ways that it's, that it's used to express that. Um, but it can also be negative when it is a strong desire for something um, that is forbidden, a strong desire for something that is um, damaging and is destructive and, and what have you. So it depends on the context in, in which the word itself is used as to whether it's, it's positive or, or negative. And now here it's obviously negative. Here it refers to having a strong desire for a woman who is not your wife. 
And the word that, that he uses for woman here um, is the, just the general word in the Greek for woman. And what that means is, is that he could be talking about uh, a married woman or an unmarried woman, and, and it really doesn't matter in that regard. Uh, and there are some that try to split some hairs of, uh, with adultery and, and you know, trying to bring fine points about uh, whether someone's married and, not, and unmarried and, and that sort of thing. But Jesus really just cuts through all of that. And he says that if, that if um, someone looks on a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, this is very similar in ways to what the old covenant law um, prohibited in, against coveting. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So Jesus, again, is, is being more general here. He's not just saying not to covet your neighbor's wife. He's just saying if, if you look on a woman and lust after her, you have already committed adultery in your heart. Now, the further implication, of course, would be the same prohibition um, for women toward any man that she's not married to. Um, it, again, it's, it's, not, it's not that this is just something that men can be guilty of, and, and, and in that case, um, obviously, it, it goes both ways. Just as you saw um, in the Old Covenant law how that there was an adulterer and there was an adulteress, and there was a, a man and a woman um, involved and both having guilt and, and so on. So again, what Jesus is saying here is not just something um, that applies to men, but would, would apply to women um, just as equally, lusting toward um, someone that is not her husband. Now, Jesus says that this look of lust amounts to sin in the heart or, or the mind. Now, um, in the Greek, the word cardia is used, so it, it, it is literally referring to the organ of the heart, um, but you also have to understand that it, it refers to the mind, to the, to the inner being, to the, to the thoughts. We, we have a way uh, more modernly of separating what we might refer to as, as rational or, or logical thought and then feelings or emotions. And, and I understand why we make some of that sort of contrast, but at the same time, the Bible is very clear that really it all comes from the same place. And so when he's referring to the heart, it's not like what we might think about today. You know, oh, well, my head says no, but my heart says yes. That's not what Jesus means. He's talking about within. He's talking about internally. In all of that, in all of that mix and, and mess that we have um, going on within us, someone has looked upon a woman and has lusted after her. Now, he uses that term already, and you can, you can see that there um, in the verse, that he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Already. Simply that look of lust that he is describing says is already guilty of this sin of adultery, which is some sort of unfaithfulness toward marriage. And, of course, it can be... Um, even if a man was single, it could be toward a married woman or, or there's you know, various ways that that could be drawn out, but he's saying he's already guilty of this sin. 
So the command has already been broken, even though it can be further broken, obviously, um, through different actions. All right, so then we come to verse 29. So verse 29 reads, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So when you read verses 29 and 30, and you actually read them in context, they're a bit puzzling. If we're trying to find the flow of this passage from verse 27 through verse 32, well, we can see, first of all, they're obviously connected. He starts when he, talking about adultery, and he ends talking about adultery. And obviously, this, this passage is, is all connected. And of course, it's also connected within this greater body of teaching that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in some way, as you read through this, verses 31 and 32 are providing some sort of a conclusion for um, verses 27 and 28. And in between there, we have verses 29 and 30. So do we read these verses as if they're just some sort of a parenthesis? And um, he's essentially making his statements in verses 27 and 28. He's sort of giving us a little aside here um, in, in preacherly language. Um, that's referred to as rabbit trails, you know, get, getting, um, getting off topic and getting over and chasing rabbits and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, of course, preachers don't really use that term as much as they get accused of that, of that sort of thing. But, but is, that what, is that the way we would read this? It's sort of a, a parenthesis. Then we're going to jump back to the, to the point when we get to verses 31 and 32. So, for instance, Jesus has just referred to lust as a heart problem. This is a problem within. Think about the way that James talked about when, when we're drawn away and we're enticed of our own lusts, referring to our own inner desires and thoughts and feelings, when we are drawn away and enticed. So Jesus has just referred to lust as a heart problem. And does it make sense that he goes from there in the next two verses, to talk about plucking out your eye and cutting off your hand. I mean, that seems at least to be inconsistent, if not even contradictory to what he just said. Now, I don't believe that this is a parenthesis. I think it can be demonstrated that it flows continuously. Um, there is a, a purpose here that is served. Now, the word for offend that is used. He says, if your right eye offend you. Now, the word for offend means to trip up, to cause to stumble into sin is essentially the way that it's being used here and is used in a number of other places. So Jesus just spoke about looking at another person with lust for them. And now he says, tear your eye out if your eye causes you to stumble into sin. Then verse 30, and if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. 
So Jesus follows what he just said about the eye with essentially the same thing about your right hand. He says, um, cut off your hand if it's causing you to stumble into sin. Now again, Jesus starts out by identifying the problem, the root sin is a heart problem. It's something within. It's, it's not something we can get at with um, a knife or a scalpel or an axe or whatever. These suggestions that Jesus has just made then are knowingly ineffective. Jesus just said, tear out your eye if it causes you to stumble into sin. Cut off your hand if it causes you to stumble into sin. But these are ineffective against sin, against the root problem. So even even some acquaintance with history, which can be quite gruesome at times, confirms the ineffectiveness of body bodily you know mutilation in trying to combat sin. Um, one instance of that would be the third century um, Christian theologian uh, named we refer to as Origen, and and there was another case in the 20th, turn of the 20th century case, Dr. W.C. Minor, uh, again, very, very gruesome tales, but they also illustrate the fact that bodily mutilation does not combat sin. Now, obviously, Jesus knows this. In fact, he just stated that it's a heart problem when a man looks at a woman and lusts after her. So why would, would Jesus just command two different ineffective methods for dealing with this sin. Now, in both cases, in in verse 29 and in verse 30, Jesus refers to escaping the consequences of being thrown into hell, being cast, being put into hell. In other words, the very phrase implies a judgment that has condemned one to hell, just like we might refer to someone being thrown in jail or being put into jail. In other words, that, that involves the whole process of, of, of being found guilty in, in some way and, and being punished. Well, the word for hell that Jesus uses is the word Gehenna. Uh, the word referred to the ancient valley of Hinnom, um, uh, there near to Jerusalem where uh, human sacrifices were made uh, in fire uh, and even Israel at times participated in those human sacrifices. Uh, by the first century it was uh, essentially a trash dump where all sorts of refuse was dumped and, and, and burned and it was uh, essentially viewed as the ultimate unclean place. Now, the word Gehenna is, is used here. In some places, it's used with reference to fire, like Matthew chapter 18 and verse 9. Um, it's even used with reference to everlasting fire in places like Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 47, where three times the fires of hell are said not to be quenched or put out. So, when Jesus refers to hell which again, this is the second time he has done so um, in this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. 
He's referring to a, a place of suffering torment by fire because of the condemnation of sin. Now, under the Old Covenant law, the act of adultery carried the death penalty. But Jesus shows the, the weight of the sin of lust by the fact that looking with lust is sin that will condemn to hell. But again, it brings us back to the question of why Jesus would command obviously ineffective actions in combating this sin. Now, at this point, there are many that would say, well, uh, you know, obviously Jesus is not being literal. He's just wanting to show the seriousness of what he was talking about. Um, and it certainly is serious. And, and if nothing else, it, it comes about by the fact that the consequence is being cast a uh, whole body, you know, into hell. And he, and he repeats that um, twice. So it certainly is serious what Jesus is talking about. Uh, but it seems he could have conveyed seriousness without commanding these ineffective methods for dealing with sin in other ways as well. All right, well, let's look at the, at the next part and, and try to see how this all comes together. So um, beginning in verse 31, we have where Jesus speaks about causing adultery. Verse 31, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Now, this verse is one that has a conjunction that is left untranslated. Um, sometimes, and, and I, I, the only time I've really seen it um, shows up in, if you're looking at, for instance, if you're looking at the King James um, Version and you're looking at it, at it in a digital form um, in some of the apps that I, that I use uh, for Bible study, there, that is indicated by the fact that there's a dash right at the beginning of this verse. Now, obviously, there's in the Bible I have in front of me now, there's no indication whatsoever that it's there, but it is there. If you look at the underlying Greek text, there's a conjunction that starts this verse that is untranslated. Now, this conjunction is something that can be continuative, and it, in that case, it could, be, it could be translated with the word and. It's, it's a continuation. It can also be adversative, which means it's showing some kind of contrast. And in that case, it could be translated um, with the word but. Um, there's some other words that, that could be used as well. But at the very least, what we know from seeing that, that conjunction that is there, is that it is connected to the verses immediately before it. So verses 27 to 30, and again, we see the connection with, with adultery at the beginning and, and at the end, and then we've got a conjunction. Now, it's a different form of the word, like, for instance, the, the and that you see there in, in verse 30. That's a different word that's being, being translated and. It's essentially performing the same sort of function. This conjunction, though, can be um, either or that is here before verse 31. Now, the connection then... Uh, it's obvious that it continues from the first. And I think um, as I read this and read it in context, I do believe that the intention here is the adversative case. Like Jesus is saying, but it has been said 
Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. So Jesus quotes here from the Old Covenant law, in fact, Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse number 1. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her, let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. Now the word that is used for divorce or divorcement that's used here in these verses, the word in the Greek is a word that has the idea of being freed or being set free or being released or being let go, that, that sort of a, of a thing. But the word that's used for divorce in the original, there in Deuteronomy 24.1, which was in the Hebrew, which is what's being quoted, that word that's used in the Hebrew expresses the idea, and I understand even the root that it comes from, expresses the idea of being cut off, of being cut off. I understand that even traditional rabbinical teaching referred to divorce as cutting off your arm. Now, Jesus is obviously playing on the root meaning of cutting off in this terms of divorce when he suggests cutting off your hand. And the fact that that is ineffective is the point that he is emphasizing. It's just as ineffective as divorcing. That's the point that he's making. So tearing out your eye and cutting off your hand are ineffective against the heart sin of lust. And so is cutting off your wife. In other words, the bill of divorcement was not given as a means for men to fulfill their lust for another woman and to do so righteously because they filled out all of the proper paperwork. Jesus declares in verse 32, But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her or makes her commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. So Jesus is declaring here, that this man is not innocent. So if we, if we track from the beginning and we think, well, he's looked upon a woman with lust for her, and in his effort to fulfill or to gratify that, he has given a writing of divorcement. In other words, he's cut off his arm, uh, he's cut off his wife in order to be, to be joined to this other in order to fulfill and gratify his lust for her. And Jesus says that when that has been done and, and he's put away his wife, and in fact he says for any reason other than the cause of fornication, in other words, except for her infidelity, he causes her or makes her, and that's the word that he uses, commit adultery, and it, the implication being when she's remarried, as well as the man that she would be married to. So what do we we have by the time that we get to the end of this passage? We've got a great accumulation of guilt is is what we have. If 
the lust that led to the cutting off of the wife in order to fulfill it, and then her remarriage along with the man who married her. In other words, you're not innocent. You're not righteous. You're not holy, though you have gone through the proper paperwork, so to speak. So now, we think about this passage in context of this body of teaching we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And we notice that there are two important connections here thematically in this Sermon on the Mount. In other words, how does what Jesus is saying here fit in with the greater purpose of this teaching and what we've seen even from the beginning? Well, first of all, the first connection brings us right back to those Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 8, where Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now here Jesus has showed what was not pure in heart. In other words, to lust, and we could say even if it's not acted on, is sin. And continuing in such sin is ultimately to be cast into hell and not see God. So if the followers of Jesus are going to live as salt and as light in this present world, then we must seek to be pure of heart and mind. And of course, Jesus exposed ineffective methods of dealing with such sin. Not only ineffective methods, and, and, and essentially, again, uh, you know, cutting off your, your wife in order to be married to another that you have, have lusted for is just as, as ineffective as tearing out your eye or cutting off your hand. So he has already exposed these ineffective methods of dealing with such sin. So you might say, well, well how, how do we combat such a sin? And how, how do we um, strive for purity of heart and mind? Well, um, we have places like uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 where Paul wrote, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. We know that the Bible teaches us that we, we don't eradicate all sin from our lives. We don't eradicate all of the effects of sin upon us. We're not going to eradicate every sinful thought and, and every sinful idea. But on the other hand, if we are true followers of Jesus Christ, neither do we cherish them. We do fight against these sins, but only through the Spirit. And the word for mortify, and it's not a word we probably use a whole lot commonly today, essentially means to put to death. Kill it. Through the Spirit, you kill the deeds of the body. Here's what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 11. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, 
which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Now the second thematic connection in the Sermon on the Mount that we see with this passage is that of the relational righteousness that is emphasized in this teaching. So when when I talked about relational righteousness earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about um, how that, you know, we oftentimes uh, think of or describe righteousness in terms of uh, some fixed standard uh, that, that we um, meet or, or fall short of, or we think of it as some legal standing um, that we enjoy before God. And, and oftentimes um, we don't think as much about that relational component. When the righteousness of God is described um, in Scripture, it's, it's his righteousness in relation to others in relation to his enemies, in relation to those who have trusted in him, that are in covenant relationship with him, and are his thoughts and actions toward them, are they righteous? In other words, that, re- that relationship that he has to them, are his actions righteous? So again, the idea of this relational righteousness, we saw it before with the concepts of reconciliation um, that we saw in the previous passage, and now we see it here in, in terms of a marriage relationship, whether it is your own or even someone else's. So when a man and woman are married to each other, that relationship that they have requires certain thoughts and actions toward one another, um, again, and that would, that's describing righteousness relationally. Now, in this case, not lusting after someone else, nor divorcing your spouse in order to have someone else legally, as it were. So we also have a relationship, though, to those we are not married to. And what, what are the requirements of righteousness in those relationships? And that may be uh, our brothers and, and sisters, um, believers in Christ. It could be, um, it could be uh, others' uh, friends. It could be others of, of um, the broader community, whatever the case may be. Well, to lust after someone, it is actually to sin against them. It, it is to devalue them. It is to view them as, as merely an object of your own gratification. And it certainly fails to see them as created in the image of God and to treat them with the dignity and, and the respect or to love them as Jesus has commanded Of course, it is also cultivating future greater sin and causing others to stumble into sin. So again, if we we follow out in in this passage, so a man has 
um, lusted after a, a woman in his heart. He has um, put away his wife. And then what has happened? Well, he's, he has obviously sinned toward her. Um, he is guilty in her um, remarriage with that man. And so on again, accumulation of guilt, all because of ineffective righteousness, so to speak, on his part.